Exodus 25, if you would, please. Exodus 25 and verse 10. The Lord is speaking to Moses in the mountain. And he says to him that he wants a sanctuary. He said, I, I want you to make me a sanctuary. But in verse 10, he said, I want you to make an ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof. A cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And a cubit and a half the height thereof. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shalt thou overlay it. And shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it. Put them in the four corners thereof. Two rings shall be in the one side and two rings in the other. Thou shalt make staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. Thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark that the ark may be born with them. I don't see anything about a cart in here, do you? It's powerful. He said the staves shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. Thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. Thou shalt make two cherubims of gold of beaten work. Shall thou beat them? Shall thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat? Make one cherub on one end, the other cherub on the other end. Even the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. Verse 20 said these cherubims are going to stretch forth their wings on high. They're going to cover the mercy seat. Their faces are going to look toward one another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark. And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there, somebody say there. And there I will meet with thee. And there I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. From between the two cherubims which are on the ark of the testimony of all the things which I will give thee in the commandment unto the children of Israel. I want us to pray together tonight. I believe the Lord wants to speak to us in this house. Could we just lift our voices to the Lord tonight in the name of Jesus. We need you God. We need you to speak to our hearts in this place tonight. I believe you have a word for your people. And I'm asking Lord that you would visit us tonight in a divine holy way like only you can let the will of God be accomplished in the name of Jesus Christ we pray let the church say amen amen Amen. I want to preach to you tonight from this subject if I may his presence first his presence first you may be seated in Jesus name Uh, I know this may seem like an odd time to you uh to do this, but I want to, I just want to say one more time tonight from the bottom of our hearts, Brother Stephen Gill, how much we love and appreciate you and thank the Lord for you. Amen. We're going to be praying the strength of the Lord and wisdom and direction over the next several months. Amen. Aren't we thankful for his investment in this church? We thank the Lord for it tonight. You can say whatever you want, but I'm going to tell you, there's not a single person in this church whose life is not better because of the word that we have heard 
from this man of God. And we thank the Lord for that. Amen. The word of God is so powerful. There is, there is absolutely nothing in this world that can ever take the place of the word of God in your life. And what we know as the word of God specifically in this, this canon of scripture, the 66 books. In my opinion, where you and I are reading here tonight is where I believe uh, the Lord begins to show Moses how and what he's going to write. So, in other words, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, began to be written right here. We see the historical account, obviously, that Moses writes. Now, uh, we read Genesis, but I believe, my personal opinion, is that Genesis was written during the Exodus. I believe that the book of Genesis was written... When the Bible said that the Lord brought Moses into the cleft of the rock and he hid him there in the cleft of the rock and he said, you will see my hinder parts. I don't believe at all that that means you're going to see the backside of my fleshly body when I leave. I, I don't believe this was anthropomorphic in language that he was going to see the body parts of God, the backside of God. I believe he was saying to Moses, I'm going to show you the things that I have done. I'm going to show you where I have been. And in my opinion, I believe that while he was hidden in the cleft of the rock, God showed him the Genesis, the Bereshit. He, I believe God showed him what creation looked like. And he began to write there. But all of the laws of God, all of the writing of the Word of God... Uh, it was all began right here as the Lord began to speak with Moses and he said, I'm going to give you a testament. I'm going to write something in you and you're going to write it down. And the finger of God is going to write on that first set of tablets of stone. And uh, there's a whole lot more we could preach involved in that with the frustration casting the stones down and, and the second time he goes back up for another 40 days, the Lord said, this time you're going to hew it out yourself. And uh, you're not, you're not going to be so quick to throw it down when you're invested in it this time. And there's a whole lot to it. But we know that ultimately through Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy that there ends up being 613 mitzvah, 613 laws, 365 of which are thou shalt nots. People do not like that part of God. But there's 365 thou shalt nots that came out of the mouth of God. Because in the plan of God, he said at some point, if you're going to please me, you're going to tell you no. At some point, if you're going to be pleasing to me, you're going to tell your flesh no. And so the big part of serving God is understanding that to tell him yes, I have to tell me no. And that's why Jesus said when you pray, you pray thy kingdom come and thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I do wish sometimes, and forgive me if this sounds carnal, but I do wish sometimes that I could pray according to my will and God would answer. Come on now. It's quiet, but it's right. I wish I could pray in accordance to my will. And I could ask God to heal everybody that I want him to heal. 
And I may even let you in on a little secret. There may have been a few times that I'd have said, Lord, if you don't mind, just come down here and give them a good flicking. I mean, not not that I would ever pray that, but somebody else may. God, just come down here. Now, y'all may not even be familiar with what this is, but Lord, just come down there and give them a good walloping. Anybody know what a walloping is in here? It's very similar to a whooping, not, not a whipping, a whooping. And there is a vast difference in a whooping and a whipping. And uh, I would pray sometimes if I had the opportunity to pray according to my will. I would say, God, move that mountain, heal that body, whatever it would be. God, you just do it. But finding the mind of God is learning what God's thinking. What God is judging on a matter. It's going to take me a little bit to lay some groundwork here. But we pray about the things. This has been in my spirit. But we pray about the things that God has not settled. And we command the things that God has. We pray for wisdom and direction. And we command the direction that has been given. If God has given me direction in his word, I'll say it to you like this. If God has given me direction in his word that something I would like for my flesh to participate in is a sin, but the word of God says that it's a sin and I want to do it, I don't have to pray and ask God, is it okay? I had a a, a guy tell me one time, I'm trying to figure out how to tell this and be vague, but he told me one time that he was involved in... uh, professional level sports and uh, it looked like he was going to go to the next level and he said I told the Lord that night when I went to my hotel room before the next morning was like supposed to be the pick and he said I told the Lord that night when I went to my room if it's not your will for me to play professional sports then let it fall through I was like it's never been the will of God When you got a call on your life to do something for the kingdom of God to take all that talent and waste it with the gods of this world. It wasn't the will of God. You don't don't have to ask God. So, so, So the next day when you don't make the cut, then you can tell everybody, well, I guess it just wasn't the will of God. No, it was never the will of God. Are you with me? It was never the will of God for us to take the blessing, the favor of God, And waste it in this world. I don't have to ask God about that. But all of that starts right here when the Lord says, I'm going to give you a testament. I am going to write some things for you and to you. And then you are going to talk to the children of Israel. And you're going to establish this in their hearts. And ultimately... In the latter end of the matter, he said, I will take this word that was inscribed on stone and I will put my law in your heart. Anybody here tonight thankful for the Holy Ghost? But we are in the the preliminary, the primary stages of what God is doing with his people. And the Lord calls Moses up into the mountain and he starts establishing some things with him. And he, he says to him, he said, I want you to build for me an ark. And he begins to establish with him the instructions for building the ark of the covenant. And in verse 21, he said, 
Thou shalt put the mercy seat above the ark, and in the ark shall put the testimony that I'm going to give you. And there, everybody say there. He said, and there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with you. There, where? At the ark of the covenant, at the mercy seat, where the angels, the cherubim are. He said, there I'm going to meet you. But I want you to stay with me. And notice something feels extremely out of order to me right here. He has not even given the direction on how to build the tabernacle. There is no tabernacle. But he said, I want you to build for me an ark. There is no place to even house this ark of the covenant. The dwelling place has not yet been constructed. But God began to give them the blueprint whereby he would allow them to approach his presence. God was not giving them something. And God was not doing something for them. The focus here was not the Ark of the Covenant. The focus was that the Ark of the Covenant would be the place of meeting. God said, I want to establish that there is going to be a place where you and I are going to meet. I want to establish that there is going to be a place where my presence is going to dwell. I want you to understand that the tabernacle for worship was eventually built and contained the many different pieces of furniture and the vessels for worship. But before there was a tabernacle and before there was anything else built, God said, I want to show you the way to connect with my presence. This is where we miss it. I, I, I can't stay right here. I got a long way to go. But I want to tell you there's some powerful principle that's established right here. I want you to understand that coming to church every time the doors is open is vitally important. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll connect with the presence of God. Come on, I'm going to preach some of you awake tonight. I said, it, it doesn't mean that you've connected with the presence of God. There are people in this house tonight, and I don't mean this negative, but you sat through this powerful worship service that we had tonight completely unmoved, completely unscathed. God didn't do anything in your life, and you didn't let God do anything in your life. You know why? Because if we're not careful, we'll, we will absolutely forsake the idea that God wants to meet us with the idea that God just wants us to be together. There is something more powerful that has to transpire in the tabernacle than just seeing one another and gathering together with one another. If the presence of the Lord is not in the house, then it's not the house of the Lord. Now, what I'm going to say is probably going to sound a little sacrilegious to some of you, but don't let this upset your fruit basket. That tabernacle was just a tent. They all lived in tents. This one was a little bit different. The Lord told them exactly how to make it, but it, it was just a tent. It had badger skins. It had leather. It had tapestry. I mean, it was, a, it was a pretty neat tent nonetheless, but it was just a tent. I want to tell you that the tabernacle wasn't where the power was. The tabernacle was not where the power was. 
It didn't matter how much sacrifice went on at the altar and how much water was in the lever and how much incense was on the altar of incense and how much bread was on the table of shoe bread and how much oil was in the ark of the light. I want to tell you that beyond the veil, there had to be something that was more powerful than anything going on in the world. We must bring ourselves to the place that the power, the presence of God is our number one priority. Essentially, God was saying to the Israelites, don't build the outer court first. Don't construct the altar of sacrifice, the table of shoe bread, the candlestick first. Don't build the altar of incense first. Build the ark of the covenant first. Why? Because that is where the Shekinah glory of God resides. That is where the anointing is housed. Forgive me tonight if this sounds like I'm being too shallow. But I'm afraid that in this day and time we live... We got so many people that have learned the processes. We've got people that have learned how to sing. We've got people that have learned how to preach. We've got people that have learned how to dance. We've got people that have learned how to run the aisles. And you can do all of that and never connect with the presence of God. I'm telling you, it's seen everywhere that people can sing without anointing. And people can get up and say things behind the pulpit and never be anointed. God help us if we ever get to the place that our number one idea is going through the motions and just getting through another service. I'm not here tonight because I'm supposed to be here tonight. I'm here because I'm hungry for the presence of God. The Lord was essentially saying to them, you must first find me And then build everything else around that. I want you to fall in love with my presence first. Somebody say his presence first. I want you to fall in love with my presence first. Worship begins in the presence of God. The ark of the covenant represents the presence in our life. It was built of wood. There's so much in this. I love it when I'm praying the tabernacle. But I, I love the ark because it was built of wood. And wood represents humanity. The wood represents the humanity of Jesus Christ. The humanity of the Son of Man. Jesus was not deity humanized. Nor humanity deified. Are you with me? Jesus was not deity that was humanized or humanity that was deified. He was the perfect God-man. He was the perfect lamb. He was fully God and he was fully man. And that's why the Ark of the Covenant was built out of the wood that represented the flesh. But it was overlaid with gold. And that gold represents divinity. Jesus Christ was not just flesh. He was also God. He was absolutely, positively, unequivocally God in the flesh. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Now the staves that carried the Ark of the Covenant 
symbolized to us that God never intended for that ark to just sit in one place. I preached a sermon years ago, many years ago, about a church on the move. You should have seen the faces of some of the people in the room when I started preaching about the rings of gold that he put on the side of the ark. And I said, God believes in rings. Woo, it got a little tight in the room. He said, I want you to take those four rings and I want you to put them on there. And he said, I want you to take the staves and put it in the rings. Understand me when I tell you that the presence of God, what this clearly defines to me, is that God wants his presence to go wherever we go. If you believe that, say amen. God promised us that he would never leave us. He promised us that he would never forsake us. He said, lo, I am with you. Always, even to the end of the world. I want you to understand tonight. It was the plan of God for the ark of the covenant to go with them. It was the plan of God for his presence to go with him. Why are you saying that, Pastor? Because I want you to understand tonight that when you walk through the valley, the ark goes with you. God is in the valley with you. David had an understanding of this. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why did he say it? He said, for thou art with me. I've come to preach to you tonight. You may be wandering through the lowest valley that you've ever been in, but his presence knows how to move. His presence knows how to find you. He So if you're in the valley, His presence is with you. You know what that means? That means we worship Him in the valley. That means we worship Him on the mountain. Brother, sister, I want to tell you tonight, when you go into the battle, the ark of the Lord goes before you. I'm going to say that again until at least five of you feel it tonight. I said, when you go into battle, the ark of the Lord goes before you. What's that mean? That means when you're in the fight of your life, you worship. That means when you're fighting for your existence, you worship. That means you don't stand around and say, I wish God would. That means you step up and say, God, I know you will. Yes, I've walked through the valley. Yes, I've climbed high mountains. Yes, I've been in battles. Yes, it's felt like an uphill climb. But thou art with me, and I'm going to worship you. It's something that happens in your life when you're facing the worst trial that you've ever been in. And the only thing you can do is stand up and say, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. When I've got money in the bank, I worship. When I'm broke as Job's turkey, I worship. When I don't have a job, I worship. When I'm working the best job I've ever had, I worship. Because his presence goes with us. If you believe it, shout amen. Everything centers around the ark. Everything. It's why it was so captivating to David. 
He said, I don't want to just go through the motions and not have the Ark of the Covenant. I'm willing to risk whatever I've got to risk to go get it. Because we have a generation of people that are all right as long as everybody can see the visible parts. Come on, somebody. They see that altar so they know how spiritual we are. See that lever so they know we've been baptized. They see all of that. I want to tell you there's an interesting principle with God. That God has always seemingly been more interested in the things that nobody can see. Then he is the thing that everybody can see. And the reason he feels that way is because if you'll get the stuff right that nobody can see. It's not going to be hard to get the stuff right that everybody can see. I want to tell you before the tabernacle is built, there needs to be a presence that goes in that tabernacle. Before we ever get anything else done, we've got to have the presence of God. So what did God put inside that ark? He said, I'm going to put the testament in there. That'll give you what else did he put in there. Can we talk about it for a minute tonight? Y'all ready to go? He put Aaron's budded rod in there. This is absolutely supernatural. This is powerful. It's miraculous. In one sense of the word, it represents even resurrection. This is a bud. uh, It's a rod, rather. A stick. I don't want to over-spiritualize this. It's a stick. It's a branch that's broke off. It's not connected anymore. At all. There's no connection to life. And the Lord takes that thing that should have been dead. Oh God, I feel like preaching if somebody will help me right here. God took that thing that was supposed to be broken. God took that thing that was supposed to have no life in it. God have mercy. God took that thing that everybody else looked at and said, there will never be life in that again. And the Bible said that that rod rod began to bud overnight and it began to bear fruit. The Lord said, I want that put in that Ark of the Covenant because I want people to understand something about my presence. When you feel like your marriage is dead, bring my presence into your marriage. When you feel like your family is dislocated and there's no life in it, I want you to bring my presence into it. When you feel like you've lost it all, worship in the middle of it and bring my presence. If your finances are dead, worship in your finances. This don't make sense to people. I'm telling y'all the truth. Worship in your finances and watch God bless it. I'm so reluctant to share this, but I'd be a fool if I didn't. My family and I committed at missions conference to way more than I could do. Just going to be honest with you. We made a commitment that when we did it, I heard my wife go, She said, okay. So we made a commitment. And when we did, over the next several weeks, 
We spent between four and five thousand dollars on vehicle maintenance and fixes. I'm not kidding you. I'd look at her and I'd say, oh my God, what are we going to do? God will make a way. We go get it done. Look, time out. This is not going to be a poor story. Because we ain't poor and we ain't broke. We're God's children. You understand that? I'm just saying, uh, Brother Snow, I, I, I got in that stick back. I got in that stick back money. And I said, I'm going to give all the stick back. And then I'm going to give a little something else. And so we spent all this stupid money getting stuff fixed. We came home from campground one day. We walked in the house to get some clothes to go back to church. And I heard, <laughs> what in the world is that? Walked down the hallway. The main line coming up out of the ground from our well pump, just pumping water under our house, spraying water like crazy. I'm not going to tell you which daughter, but my youngest one was under her room. She said, oh, I heard that yesterday. I just didn't know what it was. Can I, can I tell the story? I walked in the living room and my wife was going, I said, babe, what in the world is wrong with you? She's like, what else can there be? I'm like, don't you dare say that. I mean, we're doing good right now. Everything we got was broke. It's fixed. It's all good. We got, we got to camp meeting. I left to go preach camp meeting in Mississippi. My wife had to leave the campground for a few minutes. So she left our trailer and the girls... We're doing whatever they were doing. God only knows. A microburst storm came through, flipped the awning off of our travel trailer, ripped it up, threw it up on the top of the trailer, broke plastic pieces up there. We contacted the insurance, and they were like, oh, yeah, no problem. We'll replace it. We're sending you $2,600. We're going to take care of it. Go, go, go get your estimate. If it's more than that, we'll take care of it. Sure thing. So I put it, man, Josh, it looked first class. I put, I put straps on the side of my trailer. I ratcheted it down. Bright green ones. That's all I had, Jason. I ratcheted that thing down. We took it over to the dealership. The next day, he sent us a thing. He said, here's your quote, Mr. St. Clair. I said, okie doke. My wife said, oh, my God, did you see this? $12,400 something dollars. Where's that damage? I said, well, thank you, Jesus, for missions conference. And so I'm, I'm trying to hurry. I'm talking about worshiping in your finances. You don't, you don't quit worshiping when you think there's no way. You hear what I'm telling you? You, you, you don't just quit worshiping when you're like, well, I don't know if we can make a stretch. No. I told the Lord what I would do. Because that's, that's what the Lord impressed on me. And I told the Lord what I would do. And I, I told my wife, I said, I know how much I got, but I believe the Lord can help me get the rest of it. And so we went through all this a couple weeks ago. 
I put a little extra together and I, I put a bunch on. So let me just get to the bottom of it. I'm not letting you know my personal business. But my household still owed $3,500 to missions, to our mission conference. We're still at $3,500 that wasn't paid. Yesterday was exactly 90 days since the conference. Today was the, was the deadline, the 90 days for missions conference. And I refused to be afraid, and I kept just giving. I told my wife, I'm going to just give another couple thousand. We're just going to do it. God will make a way. We've never missed nothing. Not a thing. Everything that broke, God took care of it, and it got fixed. You understand that? I had a friend reach out to me today. I had a friend reach out to me today that I literally have not seen in years. Years. And he said, hey, do you have a minute? And I said, sure, I got a minute. He said, I got something for you. And he said, this was a covenant I made with the Lord, so don't say nothing. He said, I just want you to have it. And the man handed me an envelope. Guess how much was in it? $3,500. I said, you worship him in your finances. When it don't look like there's any way to make it happen, you just say, God, you've been faithful. You're going to make a way where there seems to be no way. Do you know why God's people don't ever go without? Because they put his presence on the rest of their money by obeying him in their 10%. I'd already told my wife, I said, I'm not worried about it. We'll just give, we'll delay it. Whatever we got to do. The Lord said, oh, no, you won't. He said, on the day that it's due, I'm going to get somebody to think about you that hadn't thought about you in years. So I want to tell you guys what I did. I thought that was such a coincidence that it was 3500 So what I did was I took 3500 I went and took and put it in the bank. Me and my wife were going to eat good this week. You really think it's coincidental? That the exact amount you need on the exact day you need it? You know what I did? I came to the house of the Lord and I got my little old envelope and I stuck that money in there and I said, God, I want to thank you because you're a way maker. I began to worship the Lord. I'm telling you, you worship in your finances, his presence will go with you. Well, I, I've got some relationships in my life, Pastor, that I'm pretty sure... I'm, I'm pretty sure they're dead. Hang on. They're not dead yet. You get his presence in the middle of that. And he's going to take something that hadn't had fruit for years. And God's going to put fruit in it. Woo! I feel like a little prophetic vein right there. I'm here to prophesy to somebody tonight that's been saying something's been dead for too long. I've come to declare to you in the name of Jesus, if you'll worship in the middle of that dead thing, God is going to put some life on it. I'm here to prophesy to some children that have been dead spiritually for a long time. God's about to make that rod bear some fruit in your life. I mean, we could preach it all night. 
your relationships, your joy, your sick body. I was here, I was, I was here, I was here on the week, and Brother Kate, sister, uh, Brother Jordan, Sister Kate lost that baby, and I'll never forget her coming up here without the answer she wanted. She prayed, just like she did tonight. Look, if you'll dance with an empty womb, If you think I'm just trying to hype you up, you've lost your mind. I've come to tell you, anything that you need life in, you need his presence in it. <laughs> Dead things come to life again when you worship I feel faith trying to rise in this room right now. I feel like somebody may be one hallelujah away from your victory right now. God is about to bring life back into some stuff. Come on, we're not in any hurry right here. We're not in any hurry right here. I'm challenging somebody to begin to worship in that empty, broken feeling in your life right now where you thought there was no hope. Give him praise in that hopelessness. Worship him in that hopelessness and watch God resurrect that hope in you. I wish somebody would believe what I'm preaching to you right now. It ain't over. It ain't over. <laughs> Woo! I got a bunch more preaching I could do, but somebody's trying to break through into their victory right now. I don't know what it is you've been missing, but I'm telling you, if you'll worship in it, God's going to resurrect it tonight. Every intimidating spirit that's tried to keep you from doing what you told God you would do. It's tried to stop you in your finances. It's tried to stop you in your ministry. It's tried to stop you in your family. It's tried to stop you in your faithfulness tonight. You need to send a clear message to hell. You are not going to stop the will of God in my family. And you are not going to stop the will of God in my life. I'm going to worship in this dead thing until life comes back into it. Ha, 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 ha.
Hallelujah. Woo. Come on, let's not get in a hurry for the next phase tonight. If I finish, I finish. If I don't, I don't. I'm going to let God do what God wants to do tonight. Hallelujah. (laughs) Is there anything? Is there anything too hard for God? Is there anything too hard for God? Hallelujah. 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 Now I just want you to stay right there where you are because we're going to take this to one more level tonight. The next thing that was put in there was that, that word, that tablet of stone. The Lord said, I want my word to be in the middle of my presence. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm going to tell you, this is what worship is all about right here. When worship don't make sense to nobody else and you open up your mouth and you start declaring the word. I want to know tonight, have you deposited the word in the middle of what you're in right now? Because when you open up your mouth and you start declaring the word of the Lord, the devil don't know what to do with people that he's given you his best shot. He's done everything he can to destroy you. And the only thing you can do is open up your mouth and quote the word of God and say it is written. (laughs) When you start worshiping and you start saying the word of God, devils tremble. Devils stop. They don't know... Devils don't know what to do with it because you already made up in your mind. It don't matter what I go through. I can stand on the word of God. It don't matter what happens in my life. I've got his presence and I've got his word. I'm almost done. Stay with me right here. We're not done the altar. The next thing that was in there was that pot of manna. That pot of manna was his supernatural provision. There's somebody in here tonight that understands what I'm preaching to you about the supernatural provision of God. When you didn't think there was going to be a way, he made a way. Come on, I said he's a way maker. I said he's a way maker in this place tonight. And if you don't think you've got a reason to worship, let me give you this last one. That was the mercy seat where those angels' wings were spread apart, spread, covered. You know what that mercy seat represents? That mercy represents the night that should have came but never did. That mercy represents the judgment that should have happened in your life but it never did. That mercy represents the sickness you should have had. But God said not on her, not on him. That mercy represents the car that should have hit you and took your life but the hand of God moved that thing out of the way. Can I tell you, if you didn't think you had a reason to worship him tonight, I want you to know God's been protecting you and God's been keeping you and his mercy is on you tonight. I think somebody ought to go for his presence first. Let's worship him tonight.
Come on. I should have been depleted. I should have been destroyed. I should have been wrecked. I should have lost my family. I should have lost everything I had. But the mercy seat saved me. Thank God for the blood on the mercy seat. Come on, I just gave you all kinds of reasons to bless him. I gave you all kinds of reasons to worship him tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let that flow out of you tonight. Let that flow out of your spirit right now. God, you have preserved me and kept me for this moment. You have spared my life and you brought me to the house of God again. Woo! Oh, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, have mercy. I'm so thankful mercy found me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We've all got testimonies in here tonight. But I will never forget. I was just a young kid. I knew I had to call a God on my life, but I wasn't really sure how to get where I, where I wanted to go. My family and I were living back here behind the church. And back then, you could see in front of us, we didn't have the ditch that we have back there now. And there was a softball team that would come practice over there all the time. I'd finished my school, told my mom, I said, I'm going to go watch them practice. And uh, the guy that was pitching was a really good pitcher. My dad knew him and was playing fast pitch. And this guy hit a foul ball from me to my daughter Jocelyn away from me that bypassed the fence that I was kind of hidden behind it. I mean, it had like that much room bypassed and hit me right in the head. And it hit me so hard that it left, you could see the perfect softball uh, threads on my, on my head. And uh, 
You know, I went in. My mom's, my mom's a nurse, and so I went, and she's like, oh, my God, your pupils are dilated. You're, you know, I mean, within the first 30 seconds, I realized, boy, I got a concussion, you know. A few weeks later, the little scar thing was gone. Everything was all right. We had a prophet come by this church. He was just preaching, ministering to people. Brother Shaw, I was standing right down here in the front in the old building. He just stopped dead in his tracks and pointed at me. And he said, the devil just tried to kill you with a blow to the head. He said, but God has his hand on you and you're going to preach the gospel. You know what that is? That's the mercy seat. That's the mercy. Can you imagine if at 12 years old I would have lost my life to a little stupid softball in the forehead and all the investment my family had and all the things God wanted to do? Why are you telling that, Pastor? Because the devil don't control my exit. The devil don't control your destiny. You got to believe this before you leave here tonight. It's not over till God says it's over. And God's mercy is what's going to make it work in your life. My God. If you know, if you know of a particular instance in your life, I don't mean... Me and my cousin Josh had one in, a, in my pickup truck one night. But if you have an instance where you know you shouldn't even be alive, but God, God kept you. Let me see your hand. Hit a bridge doing 70 in a Cadillac. We can't do it nothing better than that. Come on, somebody. Should have, should have, should have been dead. But God, I said, but God. But God, but God, Woo. I feel something in here when I say that. But God, that, let, that lets the devil know one more time. You don't write my story, devil. God's got this. Come on, let's give him praise tonight. Let's give him praise tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We have felt his presence in this place tonight. The next time, the next time the devil tries to tell you God's done, the next time the devil tries to tell you God's finished and God, God's not going to come through for you, you just need to remind him of what you just raised your hand about just a second ago. You just need to let him know, devil, I should have been dead a long time ago. But God kept his hand on me. And I'm going to stand and testify in your ugly face every day, devil. I'm going to put it in your face every day. God made a way. God came through. God saved my life. God touched my family. God healed my body. Hallelujah. Let's raise our hands all across this room right now. God, we're thankful for what we feel. Thank you for your mighty word. Thank you for your holy presence. I thank you for these precious people that are here tonight, God. Thank you for this amazing church, these wonderful people. We've all got a testimony in here tonight, God. You've been mighty good to us, Lord. You've been mighty good to us, Lord. But we got to have your presence first. Everything else we build in our life is secondary to your presence. We've got to have it, Lord. Be with us. Keep us. Protect us. Keep your hand upon us. Till we come back together here on Wednesday night, we'll give you the praise, the thanks, and the glory in Jesus' mighty name. 
Let the church say amen.